What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the next. I am so pumped for today. I'm here with Jordan and Nikki West. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Today is going to be so much fun. Today is going to be one of the most fun episodes we've done so far, simply because of who we have with us. We have none other than I'm not going to say your name. <laughs> <laughs> I almost did. I almost did. Yeah. None other than Nikki West himself, who um. There's no one in particular, I guess. I don't know. What do you want to? Well, do you want to introduce yourself and share a yeah. little bit of what you do? Or? Well, Jordan and Eric, it's such a great honor to be here. I, I've been looking forward to this <laughs> because I want to speak to the next generation. Come on! And I believe in this podcast, and I believe that God is going to touch the next generation with power, with might, yeah. and with so much authority. We're going to see a supernatural revival, and they are going to be the carriers of the glory of God. So. I'm very excited about this. I'm ready to go for this. Uh, for the people back home in South Africa, I am Nikki van der Westhuizen. And <laughs> here in America, I'm just Nick West. <laughs> because uh, yeah, they have yes. to have the spirit of interpretation to say <laughs> my last name. But anyway, it's great to be here, Jordan. Oh, man. All right. Well, we're so, we're so happy to have you. We're very thankful that you could make, make time in your schedule to come on. But before we get going, there is an important question I have to ask. Okay. So I need, I need an honest an well, honest answer. Is, you are. We'll get. We'll get ready. Okay. What is the single worst and cringiest pickup line you've ever used on your wife? But she still married you, so it couldn't have been that bad. But what is the worst pickup line you've ever used on your wife? I think you know. Back then, you know, we are married twenty-five years, so it's an old pickup line. You know, so they don't use it today anymore. But you know, it's like. Um, you know, are you are you sure you should be on the earth because you're like an angel that fell oh. from heaven? You know, <laughs> you just called her so, the devil. Uh, Is that what you did? You just called no, her the devil. No, she's my <laughs> angel. A fallen angel. Yeah. <laughs> fallen angel. <laughs> oh yeah. my! Oh but my. she's my angel. Oh, so we've been married oh. nearly twenty-five years, oh. and she's my best friend, and we've got two wonderful boys. Uh, Nikki is nearly twenty-four, and Miguel is turning twenty-one. Wow! So yeah. So then if, if, if you love her with everything, then who, which one of you, when you guys fly, get the aisle seat? Uh, I do. Oh, okay. So the love has <laughs> that, limitations. That's sort of that's sort of I get aisle seat, she gets window seat. Uh-huh. Yeah, so All we're right. fine on All that. All right, okay. I was just, just checking, just seeing how, how far the limitations of your love. <laughs> yeah. love okay. All no, right. we don't have an issue with that. No, no, you don't. Yeah. Okay. My legs are so long, I have to sit in the aisle, and she's comfortable <laughs> with the window. So oh, okay. we didn't have any arguments on that. Yeah, me and Faith, we used to travel. Well, we still do travel a lot, but the two of us used to sit next to each other on almost every flight. And the, the thing is that Faith decides that she will take the window seat, which mm. I normally like the window seat, mm. but then she sleeps upright. And I'm like, what the heck yeah, are you doing? She like, could sit in the middle. Yeah, you could sit in the middle. You can sit on the aisle if you want. Like that, I don't understand it. So then she's got to use the toilet all the time and she sleeps sitting exactly. upright. And I'm like, what an abuse of the yeah, window right. seat. Exactly. I, I can't sleep on plane. So I have to have the window. Uh, I have to be staring out the window. I, I got to entertain myself somehow if they don't have a fancy little screen there. Oh, yeah. I, I can sleep for ages on a plane. I love Oh, no. What? Is it uh, just me? It's just me? I'm alone? I, I can't. I think you're the only one. What? I slept like 12 hours in the no, last flight. No, my from, goodness. Yeah, man. sitting up. But I double jet lagged myself before we You must ride first class. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It was sitting up. It was fun. And the lady with the, you know, the little trolley that comes running down and up the aisle and they mm. do it like, mm -hmm. they, they're on a mission 
It's like mm-hmm. Mission Impossible right mm-hmm. there. And they're running. And that food better get from the front of the plane to the back of the plane in like 0.5 seconds. They're drag racing each other down the aisles. <laughs> and she comes, pause, takes out my legs. So I woke up straight out of whatever I was dreaming. I was like <laughs> wide awake. I'm like, what the heck just happened? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to doze off back to bed. And all of a sudden, she runs the other direction back up and takes me out a second time within the span of like 20 minutes. It was a lot of fun. Not, not for That's me, funny, but I bet you she laughed about it. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever's ever scrambled eggs got thrown around in the, inside the trolley, it was, it was worth it. My, my suffering was their joy. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Now, um, Uncle Nick, you do, you do a lot right now when it comes to ministry. And I think the majority of what I'd say that impresses me, there's a lot that impresses me about what you do. And I absolutely love your heart for ministry. I love your heart for people, the supernatural. All of this is basically exactly what we want to see happen in our generation. But I think the biggest key you can kind of give to our generation is consistency. Mm-hmm. You have been very, very consistent. And, and like yourself and other ministers that we've spoken to, including my parents, and the, those have been married for 25, 30 years. Those have been doing ministry for 35, 40 years. However, I'm not going to actually say how old you are. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> with that consistency becomes the key and that's what I think our generation could really use. We need a lot of consistency but what that starts with is, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but that kind of brings me to your story Um, and if you'd like to start sharing your story you know, we'll we'll find out who you were and then how you got here and then if you could share a bit about consistency, that'd Mm. be awesome. Well, let me give you a phrase that my dad gave me Mm -hmm. and it's now, I've been in ministry for two decades now, and I have lived by that principle up till today. And this is what it is. Built slow, but built strong. Hmm. Some people just want to build this massive ministry, business, marriage, and they're in such a rush, and they don't build it strong. Hmm. Built slow, but built strong. You know, I used to compare myself with other ministries like, Look where they are. You know, I'm only you know ten years in ministry, and yeah. we only have a thousand people, and they ten years, and they off. You know, they have five thousand people, and I would compare myself, but I would remind myself of those wise words: build slow, but build strong. Mm-hmm. Now you fast forward in life, and you see, yeah, we've got a healthy ministry, a strong ministry. I don't. I have a debt-free ministry, where other people wanted to have the buildings and the stuff, and they're still in debt. So build slow. I would say that to any person, build slow, but build very strong on your, on your relationships with your, with your boyfriends or girlfriend. Don't rush into the thing. Don't talk about marriage now if you're just starting to date. It's going to come, but build slow now. Build strong um, in your ministry as well. Don't run ahead of yourself. It's, um, sometimes our, our calendar takes us where our character can't sustain us. And that is a problem. And we see a lot of ministers fall because of character uh, problems. They've never developed through the process. So, Jordan, for me, I think that is the thing that I will always tell people. Build slow, but build strong. Take it step by step. Take it as God, you know, opens the doors for you. (laughs) Don't try to run ahead of yourself. Um, You're going to burn out, and then we have problems, you know. So, build slow, but build strong. So, my life... I grew up in a very uh, traditional home. My dad was a a pastor of a um, denomination back in South Africa. Um, Like, I would say, like the Assemblies of God, if I can relate it to America. 
Uh, and then the Lord spoke to me in 1976. Jesus appeared in his room. And Jesus stood in front of his bed and he says, I've called you for revival in South Africa. <laughs> now you must know, back then, there was only the denominational churches, the traditional churches, like yeah. the Baptists and the uh, Reformed, and the, Reformed mm -hmm. and the Islamists of God. So there was no charismatic movement. And then my dad left the denomination. That was heavy because we we, he left with, with nothing. And 12 families left with him that believed in the word of the Lord. They sold their homes and their cars and their possessions. And we all stayed on a farm. And there my dad sought the face of God on how to start this charismatic movement. Because there's no reference point. Yeah. And um, only the word of the Lord. And I remember clearly how my dad would pray every morning five o'clock and I would walk around with him on the farm walk around as he prays and um, fasted 40 days my dad did three 40 days in his life and I remember when he comes out of the 40-day fast how skinny he was hmm. yeah only water you know and uh, like wow. ridiculous 40 days <laughs> and, and this is what my dad would tell me he would say if you want the Jesus ministry you have to fast 40 days if you want the John the Baptist ministry then you can just do a normal three-day fast and I was like oh, okay one day I'm gonna fast a 40-day fast no. but um, it was just the way we grew H up have you ever done a 40-day fast I did yeah okay. I did. Okay. And, and, how'd, and how'd that go <laughs> did you die well, I nearly died <laughs> I, I saw my grandmother resonated <laughs> <laughs> so no I'm just joking no I think the power of God really became evident in my life after that you know wow but so my dad started the first independent church in South Africa in a tent and those 12 families, they came together and they bought a tent, like a 300-seater tent. And it was pitched up on the West Rand, and then it started. We were the first church that clapped hands. Wow. So you must understand what wow. charismatic is. The first church that prayed in tongues, uh, okay. that prayed for sick people, people that fell under the power of God. The things that are normal today, that's the price we went into. So every week my dad was in the newspaper about, you know, he's a false prophet and he's a witch and all the things. So I was exposed, exposed to public criticism the whole time. Wow. Um, and then obviously back then, if you were not part of the denominational groups, you were not, you will never exceed in, in the workplace or in school. So even if you are the best athlete, you will never get... Uh, colors for that or you'll never become a leader in school because you're not part of the religious um, <laughs> denomination back then my dad used to get hit every day after school and say you from that church dish <laughs> hit him <laughs> it's just how the <laughs> denomination was uh, but God has brought us through that you know and I thank God for my for my legacy if it wasn't for my dad we wouldn't have had a revival or just not even a revival just a charismatic move of God in South Africa which your dad and everybody is part of yeah so I thank God so for good. that price but you know um, those 12 people let me just get back to them eventually you know they would sleep on on around the tent at night in, in uh, like caravans or yeah, RVs yeah. and um, they would go and work in the day and they would pray right through the night people would come for prayer and so they really birthed the move of God, you know. And then I think it was three months later, the 300 seater tent was too small. Then they bought a 500, then 800, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. 
And then my dad ended off with the 25,000 um, wow. seater tent that is bigger than a football stadium. So if you have to, it's 10 meters. What is that in, in, in feet? Uh, 30, uh, 35 feet? 35 feet longer than a football field. <laughs> so it takes about a month to erect that tent. And, um, <laughs> wow. That was, that's the legacy. And, you know, back then in South Africa, there was apartheid. Um, but we never grew up in that. I never understood that. Even today, it doesn't make sense to me. So I never was exposed to that. When the violence were there and the riots was there and the racism was there. We, my dad used to have church in the townships, in the black areas. And we as white kids would grow, you know, play around there and, and have fun. So I never understood racism. And I thank God for that. That's so good. Um, so today, well, back then, let me just stick to my, my, <laughs> my story. I don't want to run ahead of myself. But my dad paid the price. Um, and then when my dad started the, the full-time traveling with the big tent, mm -hmm. you know, Kenneth Copeland was his partner and Benny Hinn and all these guys, they sewed into his ministry. And so my dad became very successful. And we really lived the life. You know, if I sit in my room, um, and, and if I want to f do fishing, I could sit literally on my, in my room and just cast the fishing rod and, and, and do some fishing right there. So we were living on the beach, millions and millions of, of dollars worth of property, uh, cars. I was 16, had my own cars. Uh, it's just the, the rich life style, you know. Wow. And then my mom and my dad got divorced. Mm. And my dad had an affair and when the affair took place and it became public, in 24 hours, Jordan, we lost everything. So I want, and the reason why I'm saying the house and the cars, you must understand the lifestyle, the BMWs and the Mercs and everything. And then in 24 hours, from there to ground zero. And for me, it was difficult because I was only 18 years old. My brother was um, 14, and my, my two sisters, they were very young. My dad left when my younger sister was two years old. So it was a very traumatic time for us. I couldn't understand it. The whole affair was for me a thing of, what is this, you know? Um, and a lot of questions came from it. I struggled to deal with it. I asked my dad, I remember, he took my hand and we walked on the beach. And he said, I'm not going to leave your mom, but I'm going to be your dad and I'll be with you here. And I said to him this, I said, Dad, but who's going to say goodnight to me every night? I mean, it's a simple question. But to me, it was, where is my dad going to be? You know, and he said, no, I'll be here. Just, you know, I'm just around the corner. And it never made sense to me. Divorce just doesn't make sense to me, you know. But anyway, I had to work through that thing. My dad left and we left the home and we stayed in the caravan park. Um, in a caravan, RV, yeah, yeah. whatever, yeah. Uh, for a while with my mom, my mom, my brother, my, my two sisters. And we struggled. And my mom used to sell all, all her name brand clothes, the, you know, the boutique clothes. She had to go and sell it just to get bread on the table for us at night. And I mean, you all know how I am about um, food that's expired and stuff. I think that's <laughs> where I got the whole thing from because... <laughs> My mom would bring bread home that, that it's got the mold on, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then scrape it off, put it in the toaster so that we can just at least eat. She would sit on the street corners and sell the clothes just to get food. So, you know, living from that life, 
you know, you must put yourself in that thing. Yeah. And the next morning, there's nothing. Um, and you see your mom sitting on the street corner there. Now, in America, I think that's difficult to understand for people because here you go to Goodwill or you go to a thrift store. But back in South Africa, my mom would sit in a tent, gazebo, mm-hmm. and just sell her clothes, you know. And, and whatever yeah. you get, that's food for the night. So we really struggled, man. And we, it, was a, it was a big adjustment for me, living the life to having no car, depending upon people, living with people, see my mom go through a very hard time and I had to leave school at in my last year uh, of my, my matric in what's the what is the in America I, grade 12. Grade 12 I had to leave school to go and work to look after my mom because there was just no finances my dad lost everything my mom lost everything yeah. and then I was a, a, a pastor in uh, that my dad gave the church over he took me into his house and he says come stay and come and do Bible college and so, praise God for that. I did Bible college, and I stayed with him. But it was very difficult because the church world rejected my father. So, when he made it public that he is not, that he's going to divorce. So, this is what happened. He went to the fraternal or to the people that covered him and said, listen, I'm going to get divorced. And they said, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll speak to you. So, my dad stands out there, and when he wanted to go back in the church, they locked the building says you're no longer welcome here you know mm. and then i went through that whole process in bible college they would read from the platform i would sit there as a student they would read from the platform letters to say if you see nikki van der westhuizen treat him like a heathen you're not allowed to eat with him you're not allowed to have fellowship with him now, in the 80s divorce was like the ultimate sin so i'm sitting there and i'm like okay i'm mad with my dad but it's still my dad you understand yeah. and I graduated Bible college Eric and um, so the place that I was uh, living with and this this is the weirdest thing that was my dad's church that he gave over and now I'm sitting there and they saying all these things and then he said this he says I was graduating second year Bible college and he said if your dad puts his foot on these premises we'll arrest him wow. so I said to my dad you can't come to church you can't come to my graduation they're gonna arrest you and he says, I'm coming. So I'm standing there on the stage. Here's my dad walking in. I'm thinking, oh, gosh. But he sat there, he supported me. And um, life changed for us dramatically, drastically. So I understand as a PK kid, and I understand kids that go through divorce, they're hurt. Because yeah. it's all about the heart. When a heart is wounded, it opens up gateways for demonic attacks and things to, to have access into your life. And I had to constantly fight offense. I had to constantly fight bitterness. I had to constantly fight the hatred I had. For two years, I struggled. I'll be honest, I couldn't speak to my dad. I was like mad at him. I didn't want anything to do with him or his second wife. And um, it was about three months before he passed away. We reconciled. And my dad passed away in a car accident, him and his, and his wife. Uh, they died in a head-on collision in Cape Town, and um, that was very tragic. I struggled, Jordan, for seven days to find a church to bury him. <laughs> Nobody wants to, wanted to bury him. I have a funeral for him. So eventually, Pastor Theo Wilmerans, he gave his church, and he did the funeral. And um, so it was very traumatic. At a young age, I had to deal with those things, you know. Um, 
so I just want to say to the young people there, you know, it's like we all go through issues, man. It's by the grace of God that I haven't built this hate against church. Because I hear a lot, a lot of young people and a lot of pastors' kids like, I don't want anything to do with church. You know, the church hurt me, the church disappointed yeah. me. I just want to give my story on that to say, you know, you can survive that. You yeah. can get out of that. Uh, it was difficult, but you can. Yeah, what did that look like? So when the affair happened for you, did that affect your relationship with God? Did, did you get mad at God as well through like that loss? Eric, no, I was mad at my dad. Yeah. You know, I was too, just too mad at the person, not at God itself, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I, I kept on going to, to youth. I think that was the thing that sustained me, was my group of friends. They were all okay, good. you know, and they were supporting me. They were with me. And I, you know, if I look back now, you need friends in your life. Yeah, you need those that group of people. You need a young, young crowd around you. You know, I always say the four crazy friends. You need four crazy friends in your <laughs> life. That paralyzed man. He, he had four guys carrying yeah. him. <laughs> they opened the roof, and Jesus healed him. That's how I felt. It's like I needed friends in my life to carry me through the whole thing, mm-hmm. and which they did. You know. Um, and I survived that whole thing. I was in a good church. I was in Bible college. I worked in the ministry. And that helped me. If I say work, I served, you know, on Sundays. Um, and that helped me through the whole process. I think if I removed church from this whole spectrum or youth, I would have struggled. Definitely. And that's crazy because, like, the way I look at it, I don't know how I would sit there with, you know, having your dad basically start the charismatic movement in South Africa and start revival in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And you watch everything set off and you watch this chain of events to where you have 25,000 people plus overflow packing in right. tents and involved in some of the biggest ministries from around the world. And all of a sudden, one day, everything falls apart. Okay. Was there ever a moment you just said like, I don't want it to be a part of this anymore. Like, I, I don't understand why this happened. It's got to be fake. I just didn't understand it, you know. I never understood, well, I was very young, you know. Um, so this whole process was from the age of 18 to 21, where <laughs> before my dad died, um, of just being rejected. Every and, yeah. and you know what was the worst for me? I carried his name. Yeah. And everywhere mm-hmm. I went, it was like, oh, you're the son of, you're the son of, you know, and immediately labeled. It took me, Jordan, I said to Nikki, my son, I said to him, it took me 20 years to restore my dad's name of one decision he made, wrong decision. You know, the Bible says that David, in the book of uh, Samuel, it says there, I think it's 1 Samuel 17, somewhere around there, but it says it was the time for kings to go to war. But David stayed at home. And then the next verse, he looked on Bathsheba, Third verse, he called Uriah. Fourth verse, he murders him. So in eight verses, he goes from, from a person that's just, or he's a king. And the Bible says, this, I want to highlight that. He says, it was the time for kings to go to war. So he's like, I'm the king. I don't have to go to war. I'm just going to stay here. And because he made that decision, he fell in adultery. He became a murderer. He became a liar. became a cheater. Everything in eight verses because of a price of a decision everything in your life has a price tag to it and my dad's price tag was huge um, <laughs> that he went through you know 
And so, yeah, that was when my dad then passed away. I didn't go into ministry then, uh, Jordan. I was a working secular, you know. I knew the call of God. That's one thing I can tell you. I had prophecies I'm going to go into ministry. I just didn't know how. And especially when this whole thing erupted, bomb wow. exploded. It's like, yeah. that's never going to happen. But God came through and um, we started off very small, but we came through that whole thing. Um, so that was my, my life really there, is just to see the, the shattered pieces coming back again. And let me tell you this. I, like I said, I was very mad at my dad for two, two years plus. I just couldn't, I just couldn't be with him. I was too angry with him, you know, and angry at his second wife. I think that was the thing that my stepmom that I had to deal with, you know, because she, I felt she destroyed my, my life and my, my whole family's life, you know. So we had, I had to deal with anger, bitterness, resentment. But the church, the youth, the youth, if I look back now, it's those, it's those Friday nights that kept me. I'll live for that. I, if, I can just, if I can just make Friday night, you know, I'll be okay, you know. And yet living in a trailer park, um, living from family members to family members. My mom had to go and work again. I worked earning 20 bucks a week, dollars a week. I don't know how I survived on that, fixing radios. You know, wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's my first job that I started. Wow. Yeah. That must be such an encouragement to youth ministers out there. Because if I, I'm like, that was my next question was like, what got you up in the morning? What makes you, and I, I've heard of a lot of stories similar to, I mean, you know, in different right. contexts where for them, suicide was the easiest option. Why, why even bother? Why try wake up the next morning? Like, why not just yeah. give up? And I was going to ask you like, what kept you going? And to be a youth minister out there and hear a story like this, like you wonder how many happen now? You know, how many kids do you have that yeah. show up on a Friday or Wednesday night or Monday small group or, you know, a Sunday night? <laughs> how many people sit next to kids in, 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 in church or, or young adults that, you know, look completely normal, but on the inside, it's like their lives have turned completely upside down. And if it wasn't, if there wasn't a Friday night and if that youth pastor had said, I don't feel like doing this mm -hmm. day because it's just a bunch of kids, they might not be there on Saturday morning. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a major you know, encouragement. Um, I think there's the, even now there's young people listening to this and like, you know, I just don't want to carry on. I, I just want to encourage them to tell you that it's although you don't see the yeah. the next day or you don't see the next week, just hang in there. It's gonna turn around. Mm. It's gonna turn around. Um, it will turn around. God has made you. He's given you a spirit of a, of an overcomer. Yeah, and that's what I can look back and say. Something, my purpose and my passion drove me to become just this man of God one day. You know, and um, every young person listening to me, and I, I want to tell you today: don't give up. It's not your fault. It's not because of you that you did something wrong. That your parents are divorced. They have issues, and they sort it out. They're trying to sort it out. And if I can say this to every young person, don't judge your parents. Wow. If, you know, my biggest problem is I judged. <laughs> I judged them and criticized them and all that stuff. And it was the worst thing I could do. If I can just have the time over again, I would handle it differently. And I would, I would accept my dad's faults and love him and be with him. I, I wish I had it. But a week before he died, he, re, he came and he made right with my mom. 
and he came and he made right with my brother. We, he took us to a, a steakhouse and he sat us down. He says he's so sorry about everything. And um, the interesting thing, Jordan, was when he, just a week before he died, he said to me this, he says, um, come with me. So we drove, I drove with him and he went to his father's grave, tombstone. And he says, this is where your grandfather is buried. And there's a guy next to him that had a scripture on his tombstone that, that read, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints of God. And he said this, he says, one day when I die, I want that on my, on my tombstone. And I remember that. And a week later, wow. you know, he passed away. So, but let me tell you this, the, week be, the day when he died, now my dad was restored in ministry. Uh, although it was very, not the same, it was never the same. Yeah. But the day before he died on a, um, on a Monday, the Sunday he preached in George in, on the Eastern Cape in a stadium with uh, 20,000 people. So it was so powerful. And then he said this, he says, we have to carry on with this move. And then um, he turned around to the pastor sitting next to him and says, can I borrow your car? I need to go back home and get clothes and stuff. And the pastor gave him the car keys. And then the next morning, before they left, now I spoke to the pastor about, not about, uh, September last year. I've got the recording where he said, let me tell you what your dad's last words were. So I said, you know, how does this work? You know, so crazy. He says, he borrowed my car. And he phoned me that morning. He says, he says come, come, to my, come to the place where I stay. The Lord spoke to me this morning. And he said this. The Lord said, three things are going to happen. This is 1993. He said this. God spoke to me, says he's coming, not a white president, not a colored president. Now, you know that terminology in South Africa. And, but there will be a black president that comes that will restore this nation. That's 1993. 1994, Mandela came and be our president. <laughs> and then he said this, there's coming a move of God amongst young people and will be no names that God is going to use. And then the third thing, um, what was the third, about the revival the president, and, and then he spoke about, he hears the Macedonian call that God is calling him, you know. And three hours later, he passed away, you know, in a car accident. But here's the thing, the same pastor that gave his car is also a, I don't know what you call them in America, a funeral, um, um, he owns a funeral, was it a parlor or mm -hmm, whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, services. Um. I don't know what you call yeah, that. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Let's go with funeral home. Yeah, yeah. funeral home. <laughs> Something like that. So he went and he took my dad's um, body, took it to his place and cleaned it. And then he said this. He says, you know how many people came to, to pray for your dad? I said, no, I never knew that. He says, people came from all over. He says, when they walked into this morgue, people would fall on their knees and repent of their sins. And the Catholic people would come. I mean, Catholic people, and just pray for my dad for, for, for resurrection because I said, this man changed our lives. Wow. Can you so believe powerful. it? So even after his death, he was still preaching. You know, God doesn't look at your failures, Jordan. He's a merciful God. If he judges us on our failures, nobody will do anything in life. You know, David was the greatest mess up. I'm the greatest mess up. But God uses just ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You know? Wow. So take us one step further now. Mm -hmm. 
you then all this went down in your in your early 20s late late teens you started into ministry yourself then no i started only 1998 so my dad i did bible college 1991 mm-hmm. two and three 1991 how interesting is this in my first year of bible college i felt the call of god for my life now i had many prophecies and this is where the shift came you remember kim clement mm-hmm. all right the mm-hmm. great prophet so he came oh, yeah to the church and I said I want a prophetic word from him all these other prophecies that I had from people those are minor prophecies I want the major <laughs> prophecy if, if he says yeah, if he says then I know and so I fasted the whole day <laughs> and prayed it's like I'm gonna get a word from this prophet tonight so I'm sitting in the front and I'm like come on you know, you want to have, well. have that headlight here. Yeah, your, exactly. like me, a, pick me, pick yeah, me, position pick me. yourself so yeah. you're always in this. Yes, side. you're always doing it, and the whole time you make him uncomfortable. You're like, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had like a bicycle light that I can just <laughs> put like here on the just front. Just flashes the whole time. So he's calling out people by the social security numbers and ID numbers, and he's going, man. And that night, I still remember so clearly. I went home, and he didn't prophesy to me. Mm. I was so disappointed, <laughs> Eric. I was like, no, man. <sighs> and I went home, and that next morning, just just before sunrise, I felt somebody's in my room, and when I looked, I saw the bottom part of Jesus. But I heard his voice. That was the very first time I saw Jesus and heard the voice of Jesus. That's and so he said cool. this, just like this. He says, do you want a man to speak to you or can I speak to you? Just like that. <laughs> Come on. And then he said, read my word, Joshua 1, just like that. Verse 3, then verse 1, and it's done. And I, I was like, wow, I took my Bible. Verse 3 says, every place that your foot shall, shall tread upon, that land I will give unto you. Just like I've been with Moses, so I'll be with you. Verse 1 says, after the death of Moses, I spoke to Joshua, you know. And uh, verse 1 didn't make sense to me that it was 1991. 1993, my dad died in October. And when I heard the news, I went up to my room. I took my Bible. I threw it like this on the bed. I said, God, how can you take my dad? You know, back then, I didn't have the revelation of God doesn't take people. So I was like, why did you take my dad? He's only 45 years old, still so young. How can you take him? And the Bible opened up. At Joshua 1 verse 1, after the death of Moses, I spoke to Joshua. Wow. And uh, so that was the confirmation well, for me to, to go into ministry. But I didn't go immediately, Jordan. I still worked from 1993 till 1998. I worked in the secular world. Um, I started off as a delivery man for... I think here in America, I see Ace Hardware. Yeah, yeah. So I was the delivery man for Ace Hardware. And um, uh, and I didn't have money. So I did my Bible college at night, every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three hours every night. Then at 10 o'clock, we would finish Bible college at night. Yeah. Then I would get in a police van to do my national service. Oh, of course, yeah. From 10 till 2, 5 o'clock up for prayer, Seven o'clock at work, right, word right through till five o'clock, walk to Bible college, six o'clock to Bible college. And that I did for two years. Wow. And um, so paid the price for that. Did you go do that stuff because you didn't feel like you had the faith or financially ready to 
walk-in you're calling immediately or you didn't receive it yet? No, no, I received the call, but okay. I, I, I had to, well, there was no open doors for me. Okay. And um, looking back now, Eric, it's, it's all the process of God. You know, yeah. I was fixing radios, I told you, the first, my yeah. first job, and televisions. Then I worked for Ace Hardware, being a delivery man. I, I started obviously progressing in the Ace Hardware system. I became a salesman, and then I had the privilege to design kitchens, and we cut wood and all that stuff. And then I, after that, for two years, I went to the police force, and then I went to a firm where we buy debts from companies. So if companies in debt, we yeah. would buy the debt, and then we collect the debt, we make money like that. And I'm only dealing with CEOs and financial managers in that company. And that I did for about four years of my life. Um, and I never thought this whole process will bring me together to my call. If today I work with radios and televisions, um, <laughs> we build the, our church, I had to design the church, and I know everything about wood and plaster and all that stuff. And today I'm only dealing with CEOs and financial managers. So God just, yeah. my whole process of my life is just coming together. That's so yeah, amazing. that's... Um, then 1998, this is where the, ch where the change came for full-time ministry. I started seeing doors opening for me. I would preach on weekends, work in the week, uh, secular. Preach on weekends, and then it became more and more of a demand. So I went to a neighboring city or nation on South Africa called Namibia. Yep. So I went to Namibia, and there they booked me into a guest house, and that's where everything changed that morning early in the morning hours i heard a knocking on the door like not a knocking a banging on the yeah. door. and when i woke up this massive demon that came into my room i got such a fright i ran out of that room you know like <laughs> what's this i remember the smell and the look and everything about the demon and that was the second time i heard the voice of god he says i've called you to confront the spirit of poverty upon my people and I went back to my workplace and I gave my resignation and I started in full-time ministry. But <laughs> it didn't start off well, you know. Um, that first year was just bad, you know. We lost everything financially, uh, mm. Lillian, myself, my wife. And literally, it's like you, you're seeing the cycle of life, really. And, yeah. and we, we lost everything. We were homeless for a couple of, of days and then weeks. And then somebody picked us up. And then before Nikki was born, so we were living on the streets. We were living in parks. We were living, begging for food. We know the whole story. So people can't judge me now based wow. on, on what, they ha what I have now because I've paid the price there. Yeah. But that's the price we had to pay. I had no car. I had to hitchhike to places to go and preach. And then one day somebody, a South African box champion, um, I was preaching in the service. And God supernaturally touched a pregnant woman. The baby was disformed in her womb. She was on her way to hospital. And she said, stop at that church. Before I go to hospital, I want them to pray for me. So I prayed for the woman. They took her to hospital. And then she came back and testified two days later that the baby pulled straight and everything was fine. I actually dedicated that child uh, <laughs> nine months later uh, to the Lord. But that miracle was so powerful in that city that the South African box champion got a hold of this. And he says, I want to see you. So I went to his house and he says, listen, I don't have time to sit around you. I'm a businessman, like very arrogant. And I'm like, okay, just don't hit me. And um, <laughs> he says, but the Lord spoke to us. He says, 
God said, I must give you a car. And uh, so I walked with him to the garage. He opens this garage. There's three cars standing there, a Voyager Chrysler and an old messed up car and, and a 525 BMW. And I walked to the old messed up car because my mind is, uh, that's what people give to the Lord. You know, the last one, yeah. you don't want. So he says, no, get away. He takes out the papers. He gives me the BMW uh, car keys and that's papers, awesome. paid off. Brand new car, red <laughs> 5 to 5 on. BMW. And we preached the gospel of that car for, for many years. Um, and that's how we started, Jordan. Paying the price for ministry, man. That's awesome. Yeah. A price no so one, not many are willing to pay. Yeah, so yeah. my heart, I had three major encounters in my life. Financial encounter, the grace of God, and the supernatural power of God. And... When on finances, I truly believe that young people are not going to look for jobs. They must become entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. Our church are full of entrepreneurs um, because I push things. So come on, guys. Stop looking in the newspaper or on an ad for a job. Become an entrepreneur. There's an anointing on me to help you with that. And um, so the greatest passion for me is to see young people make a success of their lives. I, I just love it. I absolutely so love seeing people going from nothing to becoming something yeah oh my i'm just thinking about like so you were homeless but you were preaching at the same time was it oh, difficult yeah. preaching on faith or like did the people oh, you're sure. preaching to like i mean like you're sitting there like feeling almost hopeless and you're sitting here preaching to everyone about faith you know I mean, you must understand how the walk of faith is like you need to believe god that somebody will invite you remember i have to change my dad's names my yeah. his image yeah, yeah. So I would, I would not be allowed to speak in churches, certain churches, because mm. of my name. They didn't even meet me. They didn't even yeah. know me. But wow. just because of my legacy, I had to go through that thing and believe God for doors to open, believe God that my gift will make room for me, yeah. and just work through that whole process. You know? So it was very difficult. Um, and we were in so much debt. They repossessed our car, our home, our furniture. So... Um, it was very difficult, but it's a walk of faith. And that's why I know that God can do it for people. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> he is just such a faithful God to take yeah. you from <laughs> just obscurity. It's like David. He's the, he's the eighth guy, the eighth son of Jesse. And Samuel comes, he says, where's your sons? I need to anoint, anoint the next king. So Jesse lines up all the sons, except David. And the Bible says he had a horn of oil, and the oil would not fall out, would not flow. So by son number seven, it's like, don't you have any other sons? And he says this, I have a son of my shame, saying that, you know, that adulterous affair I had, I, I had a child with that woman, and that, that red head is there in the field somewhere. He doesn't even recognize him. He's, in a, he's, a, he's an outcast. And Samuel says, call him. So when David walked in, the anointing recognizes the gift. And he says, come here. And when he anointed him, the oil started flowing. And we know the, the rest of the story of wow. that. <laughs> and David became a great king. He had Solomon. And Solomon, the wisest man, richest man in the world, had learned everything from his dad. And Solomon wrote the most beautiful thing about his mom, Bathsheba, in Psalms, oh, Proverbs chapter 31. He says, this is my mom, Bathsheba. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. And how God can change people, man. Yeah. I'm not defined by my past. And I'm not defined by my mistakes. Those things don't yeah. define me. 
the call of God, the anointing of God pushes me. And then our biggest challenge was Jordan when I got married, you know, with Auntie Lillian and I don't know if you're ever going to have her on, but she has a tremendous testimony of even worse things that have happened to me, yeah. abuse and rape and uh, poverty and all that stuff. And then the two worlds collided, you know, so we had to work through our marriage. Wow. Go through this whole thing. She just came out of the world, you know, still trying to find God. Who's this God you're talking about? You know, so it's just yeah. this whole massive mess up to people. We were nearly divorced in our first year of marriage. We were just needed to sign the papers. Because <laughs> wow. we, we two messed up people oh. in a marriage that has got no idea what's a marriage, has yeah. got no idea <laughs> what it should look like. We're both from divorced families and messed up, man. It looks like God turned that out. And now, 25 years later, <laughs> we're still here, man. We're wow. Still paying the price. Still walking. You know? Still walking. Still breathing. Yeah. It's been an honor. It's been an honor and a privilege. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And we're going to be back. And we're going to be talking about the rising up of a supernatural generation. Amen. So if you I'm guys are ready it. for that, um, we'll be right back. Until then, guys, thank you for listening. We love you. We are the next. We're here to inspire, equip, and expand the kingdom of God.